Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of the Invisibility Today podcast. I'm your tiny disabled host, Laura Elliott. This month, I'm thrilled to introduce a special episode highlighting the Invisi Youth Charity, an international non-profit that helps teens and young adults with chronic illnesses and disabilities access the tools they need to thrive in a life with illness. Dominique Veal set up Invisi Youth when she was only 22, after realising that so many young people's non-medical needs weren't being met. Welcome to the show, Dominique. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm super excited to be featuring you and Invisi Youth. So, first of all, I guess, what made you want to set up Invisi Youth? Well, I usually like to say to people, considering I'm 26 and the founder of a nonprofit, that tends to be the immediate go to question is how did you end up starting a nonprofit at this age? And especially given the fact that we work with young adults as well with chronic illnesses and disability, I always tell people that this is the same population that I'm part of. So naturally, it led me to wanting to support them as much as I would have wanted to have a community like this as I was aging into my teen years. So a little definition backstory, I guess, of Invisi Youth Charity. We're a international nonprofit that works with teens and young adults all around the world with chronic illnesses and disabilities across the spectrum. So physical and mental health related, visible and invisible illness. Our big thing is providing programming, virtual programs, events in the countries we work with to have people be able to have tools to empower themselves in their life with illness and to never feel that they have to wait for the cure or wait for health in order to thrive in life, but to have the elements to improve themselves daily. So a big thing on our side is, like I said, we are international and heavily do work virtually. So we work across the United States, Canada, Australia, and one of our biggest groups is the United Kingdom, especially our Brits over there, definitely one of our largest support networks. So um, being able to bring our programs to the geographic regions that we're in it's able to sort of take down barriers not just in being a non-illness specific charity and not having barriers based on that but then also not having barriers based on a physical location so we're able to make programming accessible for everyone while also being inclusive and having leadership in the different regions that we're a part of on the ground doing programming and fundraising for us too. That's incredible. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, what the programs actually entail and um, how Invisi Youth works in, in practice? So a big part of the programs that we have with Invisi Youth is on the virtual side, we have our video podcast series called the Invisi Youth Chat Sessions, which is not only sort of a fun tool of providing education in an entertainment session value where we bring in special guests who we say are the key experts on different areas of the non-medical aspects of life. So whether that is mental health charity advocates or professional YouTubers or adaptive sport athletes, Paralympians, disability activists in the acting community, or those who have started their own businesses as headhunters or built their own companies in artistic capacities or crafts, we're able to bring them on and not only build toolkits of things that they use that are inclusive and make things adaptive for them, but how they schedule their workday, how they have conversations with families, friends, co-workers, their romantic relationships, and really be able, in an entertainment session of a value, be able to provide that for um, everyone who's listening or watching the show, um, because we have it in both mediums as well. And going along with that, we also then provide downloadable resources, which we will be introducing onto our website now, 
that every episode will correspond with. And then also our charity is very much involved in the social media capacity. That's obviously how we have so many young adults internationally getting to work with us. So we get to build um, empowerment advocacy campaigns that's involved with um, a leadership program we provide called the Global Brand Leaders Program. So they are heavily involved in not us just being like a nonprofit putting out in a marketing campaign, building awareness on their platform, but we have our global brand leaders involved in the actual development of programming and then executing the advocacy so that everything that we're putting up onto social media, whether it's having spotlight story programs where we're having young adults sharing their stories on through our website and our social media platforms, myself hosting and co-writing founders blog stories that we're able to then execute and put on our website. But then we're also able to use our global brand leaders as a leadership program and they're able to then expand their activism, showing the variety of ways you can thrive in life with illnesses and disabilities and showing that there is an actual spectrum to having chronic illness, that there isn't, as the media likes to frame it, sort of one pigeonholed stereotype of living with chronic illness or disability. So it's kind of, you're not just creating community and you're not just building this international group of people, but you're also giving a toolkit on how to live well and full and rich lives with illness and with disability and kind of challenging that view that there isn't a full and rich life to be lived with disability and to be lived with chronic illness. We're the charity that's sort of the common sense nonprofit in the way that it is all of the non-medical aspects of life of having a medical chronic illness or disability. So for us, the biggest thing is that there's so much emphasis from other nonprofits and research and your medical clinician teams, your doctors that you're attending that are focusing on your physical health and your mental health. Um, that they're the whole daily life of yourself as a social being, a, a friend, being in school, being employed, being in a relationship. There's so much of that that's disregarded, the emphasis on let's just get you into a healthy state, let's find the cure, and then you can live your life later when you're physically healthy to do so. But as for myself, living with chronic illnesses and for so many of the other young adults with our charity, that is not a tangible goal at this point. Research isn't matching that timeline, unfortunately. So for us, it's a big thing of allowing them to continue to have these non-medical tools and empowerment and a platform for themselves to be recognized in a mainstream social media sense or in our mediums that we provide so they can see themselves being represented in the full scale that they are and then know that they can continue to be an activist for themselves and then being an activist in a platform like Invisi Youth. How did your experience um, as a young adult with chronic illness uh, kind of bring this all into being? What was it that, that gave you this push to want to create? Well, it's sort of a two-step thing. A big thing, obviously, the name Invisi Youth, when I sort of developed that, it was the fact that I, growing up, having a chronic illness that was developed through a sports injury, um, I was a competitive tennis player for over eight years and I got injured in off-season training right before I turned 16, so 10 years ago now. And it, I developed a type of neurovascular condition through the injury in my left hand, which is my dominant side. So that's called reflex sympathetic dystrophy. So my nervous system had a break, if you will, in the circuit. So it goes through an injury process. And when it goes to complete the circuit to heal, there's a gap. So it's sort of just a re rerouting. So it continues to re-injure to get to the point of, in, of health 
it can't complete the cycle and then it reverts back and continues to re-injure. So it damages your ruptures, your blood vessels, causes temperature changes, muscle spasm and chronic pain. Um, and sort of from that, I ended up having, we already assumed I had a connective tissue disorder and then that sort of having damage to my nervous system that then sort of spiraled into that then coming forward more prominently. And then just the two chronic illnesses, unfortunately, as many know, they sort of then feed off of each other and then start to, if you don't get diagnosed properly and have proper treatment, like I did not for two and a half years, um, I didn't have the proper physiotherapy until two and a half years and at that point it had spread through the entire left side of my body so it went into my left leg in my left side of my neck and head so everything was sort of navy blue and swollen throughout my left side of my body so super attractive being in uh, a teenager in school obviously <laughs> and um then having to manage sort of the neurological setbacks of that too having brain fogging and memory loss and trying to then navigate my daily life as a young adult and a teenager while then also balancing my medical life at this age with a chronic illness and especially being 16, you're in that in-between group of you're very old for the pediatric medical setting, but you're not old enough to really make sense in the adult healthcare. So for us, that I was being bounced between pediatric and adult healthcare doctors because like many people in the chronic illness community, if you can't be diagnosed within the one, two, three of your first um, setback of an injury, you're bounced around to every colleague who is a specialist in a different type of ology, and everyone wants to put you under more tests and procedures to figure it out. So my, my number of doctors I've gone to is now the grand total of 47 I've been sent to. I always say 47 against my will because it was just everybody sending me to everyone they knew <laughs> because I was such the rarity in terms of how my symptoms um, were developing. So on my end, I was this older, obviously very vocal patient going in. I, I joke to people that my mom is a nurse of over 35 years. So she taught my sister and I to be advocates, not just in school settings and with other people, but especially in doctor's offices from a child's age. I was being an activist and advocating for myself, and I was explaining what was going on for just the common cold or an injury. Um, so me then having a chronic illness, that was sort of instilled in me moving forward, asking doctors questions, and me sort of debating with them why certain measures were being taken or why they weren't listening to my opinions. But being a teenager and a young adult, I was having to either sit in very small plastic chairs with hospital robes on with like teddy bears playing cymbals or I was going to an adult healthcare specialist and my parents were being pushed out of the room and I was having to fill out healthcare insurance paperwork so on my end it was this invisible barrier that I was being felt as a young person that doctors weren't able to communicate with me properly I would be asking questions of well, I have to wear compression sleeves on my left, my left hand and my left leg, but they're these very unattractive range of skin tone colors, and I'm quite an albino-looking full Italian, which is another rarity. Um, so <laughs> wearing these horrible-looking compression sleeves, I was immediately asking, well, are there different brands that are more fashionable? Do they have different colors? And doctors would be asking, well, the priority is the job that it's doing. It's not that it looks good. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm 17 and I'm walking around with this ugly looking glove on and I want it to look cute. So it was just me trying to figure out what was working in my daily life on top of then having a chronic illness and then 
adding on to that, I never met anyone with a chronic illness until I had launched Invisiu. So my entire friend network was healthy, able-bodied people. And so you either have the very, uh, the unfortunate negative response of friends not really knowing how to interact with you any longer because I didn't have a diagnosis. I was being pulled in and out of school on a weekly basis, going in and out of doctors and hospitals. So they found a discomfort or trying to be funny and humorous. I was then the butt of the joke of how my body was starting to look and swollen limbs and sort of having a limp walking around and having surgeries. So I ended up seeing on that end that even from a friend's standpoint, I was sort of becoming disconnected from my friend group because they didn't know how to communicate to me. And I would ask my doctors, well, how can I, what do I tell my friends? I don't even have a diagnosis yet. And they wouldn't give me answers in terms of anything that was non-medically related. So I had to then start navigating my own chronic illnesses myself. And that's really where it developed my initial interest of wanting to work within sort of philanthropic journalism and working with the United Nations for refugee commission. That's what I was going to university for. I mean, the first career goal was to be a competitive tennis player, but that dream had to die when I got injured. So we then moved on to a realistic life plan of what my body could do. And I was going to school for that route. While at the same time, I had opportunities of speaking at children's hospitals and being a patient advocate on grant studies and research boards for different grant research of focusing and me being the leader of a young adult research committee of the teenage patients or young children patients. And I was for years at that point being asked the same questions by clinicians of, I don't know how to talk to my teenage patients and the stereotype questions of, well, they're on their phone and they're very angsty. I don't know what to do with these teenagers. I'm a pediatric doctor, which I would always laugh and say, well, you did kind of sign up from newborn to 21. So <laughs> when you went to med school, that's sort of your bracket. But on my end, I was being asked to these same questions going, well, I've, I've been that patient that no one knows how to communicate to. So it kind of stemmed from me doing work for another nonprofit. I had a one of my doctors jokingly said to me, well, I haven't have never heard of a charity that, that helps young adults just on the non-medical side of life. So instead of working for one, you should make one. So then I took him seriously. <laughs> um, and so that was when my senior year at my university, my final year, I joked to my friends that while they had a little more of a relaxing time, focusing on dissertations and enjoying their last year of university. I was bouncing between classes and research paper writing, then going to lawyers and accountants, building the nonprofit um, at the same point. So then a month after I graduated from university four years ago, I then launched Invisi the month after that. And that's where this sort of um, nonprofit then quickly developed and started to sort of spread its wings at that point. It sounds like you uh, you didn't lose the athlete's drive once you became injured. It sounds like you just kind of, you just kind of shifted focus. You kind of exactly. took, you, I mean, it is incredible. And like you say, um, at my third year at university, I was having the relaxing time. I was not running about through different, different lawyers and accountants, but it is incredible. And to say you launched it when you were only 22, it's an amazing accomplishment, but it must have also taken its toll a little bit on you as you're only, you're still only quite newly diagnosed at that point in the overall scheme of things. So the management of the charity and the management of your own health must have been 
quite a difficult balance to strike. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people, especially being living with my illness, I always say 70% of the year I physically look healthy and 30% of the year my symptoms are very visibly apparent. So that's a predominant amount of the time that I live with the invisible illness side of my chronic illnesses, that it's more physiological, it's more cardiac or GI or neurological. So it's things that I'm physically feeling and dealing with, but it's not apparent to everyone around me. So I did have the, if you will, the luxury of having the invisible illness side. So me going to lawyers and accountants and building a charity and being photographed for the charity and going to build sponsorship and doing that, um, I was the healthy looking ideal of a young owner. Um, so even having families coming to me, they all looked and said that I looked so healthy. So I was the recovery young adult owner, even though this was, I was still, like you had said, at that point, I had six years with my chronic illnesses. They were still evolving at that point, um, and affecting my health. But I, I laughed when you said it, having the competitive athlete drive, it, it is definitely still having that because I was so focused on building this nonprofit that how I developed in busy in the first year to then where it is now, there was such an evolution of the nonprofit because after its first year, my health really did take a setback because I was definitely pushing my health to make sure that the charity was being taken seriously. I was being taken seriously and then really building it so that it would be an employment capacity for me moving forward. So I definitely put my health on the back burner and said, oh, I can deal with this. I've had worse things before. But as you continue to then continue to put your health on the back burner, it all starts to pile up. So on that end, I was turning 23. The charity was turning one year old. Everything's very young. It was just this scenario of looking at the nonprofit and the, this idea that in the beginning, uh, we really wanted to have the charity be able to go into hospital programming and bringing young adults into the medical community and showing that dynamic. And that would have taken a lot of physical toll on myself building these programs with hospitals independently and exceptionally with us being such an international nonprofit out of the gate. I always say that I have a soft spot for the UK and that's not just because I enjoy England very much when I go, but it's more in the fact that right out of the gate, that was 50% of our population even still today is the UK. Um, they immediately gravitated towards the charity's mission, doing young adult healthcare and really jumped to what we were doing and understood it. So I then saw that this community had to take a virtual form and at the same time my health was taking a massive hit and it was my board at my nonprofit and even my family even my parents and my doctors really sort of had to sit me down and go you you will eventually take this to a point of no return if you continue pushing your health and they saw the benefits of the charity and how well people were receiving it. And they said, especially after my first year, you really have to figure out a way to structure this where the charity can breathe without you. So that after our first year, we pretty much wiped the slate clean. And I really took that year of growing pains and my own physical growing pains, <laughs> if you will, and really thought about it and went, what are the key points that people are getting from this nonprofit? And that's really where us hosting fun events for free internationally it became less of a structured nonprofit event and it became more of these hangouts and meetups where we were inclusively inviting people with chronic illnesses and their siblings and friends 
and relationship partners and bringing them all in together in a hangout structure. So it was less of an effort on the nonprofit to build a whole venue. And then building our virtual programming, we really took it out of the focus of the hospital and put it back into this young adult advocacy network of building non-medical toolkits and building resources that were tangible for young people. And it really was, for me, the first development of building our leadership program we have, which is the Global Brown Leaders Program, because we wanted the young adult community to have an active role in the nonprofit. And ironically, they definitely keep the charity moving when I might have to take a health setback. They're still being very proactive in activism and social media promotion and building fundraisers for us and supporting one another in their own writing and in their blogging and their activism work independently. So for me, that was sort of the blessing in this disguise was having so many health issues after graduating from university and having the charity being so young. The biggest blessing was having all those health issues because I really had to look at the nonprofit and go, if you still want to build a business and run it, and still be the owner with chronic illnesses, you have to make them mesh that you're not damaging the nonprofit and you're not damaging your own health. They have to marry to one another. And I'm lucky now four years into it that once we made that shift and sort of restructured everyone with us, that the charity at this point was really able to flourish with such a speed behind it that um, it's something that on my end, I'm really thankful for that first year. It sounds like also in making the charity more accessible, for yourself, you've made it more accessible for the people you're working with as well. So it's not just built in to, to support you with your chronic illnesses, but it's built in to support everyone who works in Invisi Youth as well with the virtual nature of everything. Yeah, I think a big thing for myself was knowing that when I volunteered with other nonprofits in my teenage years prior to having my injury and, and then after having my injury and having chronic illnesses from that, um, I noticed there was such a, a typical structure that helped charities run and move forward. But having chronic illnesses, you even if you probably would be capable of adapting a nonprofit's volunteer program or being being able to access their programs to you, they're they're not as accessible. You do feel subconscious of not wanting to reach out to these nonprofits and have them adapt things to you because naturally there's so much of your own life that's being adapted to you having chronic illness. So then to take that initiative to have a nonprofit adapt even more so to you, that there is a there is a nerve of doing that. So I knew on my end, I was not volunteering for certain nonprofits when I knew they were very much physically meeting oriented or physical event oriented. And also my illness spectrum was so wide that I didn't fit into a mold of one nonprofit with one of my illnesses and fitting in there because I already was an outlier having more than one. So on our end, that was a big thing of having that focus going. Well, not only, like you had mentioned, I needed the charity to adapt to me. So when we built our programming, um, me speaking to our board and our consultants, that really was the first thing I laid out to them going, even with our video podcast series, I said, if we're going to have a podcast series and make that a tangible educational resource, it needs to be filmed as well because it has to be accessible to people who have hearing impairments so they can have lip reading and we can continue to grow and hopefully our captioning can continue to grow as the seasons move on. So that's a tangible asset for people to be able to still access be an accessible tool for them. It's inclusive across the health spectrum. And I think on that end, it was just everything we did in programming, even with our Global Brand Leader program, 
it had to be adaptive for people who were coming into the charity. So you've touched on it um, a few times, but you have global brand leaders around the world. So do you want to tell me what their role is um, specifically in the charity and how they support the, the kind of global work of the charity? Of course. So with our Global Brand Leaders program, it became when we really focused on working directly with young adults. We wanted to make sure that there was this leadership platform that so many young adults wanted to volunteer at the nonprofit, but it was trying to find the way of, especially with us having such a non-geographic border, non-illness specific mindset, we wanted them to be able to still work with the nonprofit, work with myself directly as the founder and executive director on that end. And then also being able to work with my consultants that help with the nonprofit and their building programming with me, our social media volunteers and connecting to them throughout the year and building a network where this is sort of our leadership role of these incredible young adults who have started building their own platforms of activism in the full array in which they do that, whether it's healthcare advocacy, doing work, trying to change um, medication government coverage or trying to get bills passed in Congress in the states to other ones selling merchandise and building their their own home brands of selling things on Etsy and building their own companies, other young adults being bloggers and being activists through the social media channel or those that are in university and being on councils at their university for disability activism and rights or those going into the arts or into adaptive sports. So we were seeing so many young people doing their their own thing independently and were reaching out to us that regardless of their illness or disability, they all wanted the same goal of, I want to do more advocacy work, I want to help more young people and make sure that they can see they can thrive in life the way that I do. And seeing all of the spectrum in which young adults are thriving with chronic illness and having taking that negative stigma of, you, if you're chronically ill or disabled, you cannot be happy and successful, that they had to be mutually exclusive from each other. And then having myself being sort of this uh, running a nonprofit while also being chronically ill um, and sort of marrying the two that I'm happy and successful with a chronic illness that I wanted to show the amount of ways people can do that and having a program that would be accessible as a leadership role so we could take the virtual element of what we do and expand that but then also put boots on the ground and have the typical grassroots approach to nonprofits so that was really where the global brand leader program came forward so they do activism work with us they do um, social media promotion they're the ones that are really helping our programming thrive in different regions that they're a part of and then also they do fundraising with us and i like to say sort of the atypical fundraising that we do where we really let people throughout the year that they're signed to um, our brand leader program they really get to hone in with me one-on-one getting to work with a founder of a nonprofit, which often doesn't get to happen Um, You tend to work with a lot of staff members. So for us, um, when they're building fundraisers, they're speaking to me directly. We're building that with them. We're helping them really um, find that self-confidence in themselves of hosting fundraisers or doing different events. And then they're also our first group that we get to reach out to when we are hosting meetups and hangouts in their country or in their region, um, when we're partnering up with other nonprofits or events um, especially in the UK, we do have a lot of partnerships there, which is I'm so thankful for of other nonprofits there, especially really wanting to get to work with us 
Um, we even do, uh, obviously, being a former competitive athlete on my end, adaptive sports is a big thing that I'm very proactive in. Um, so we're one of the charity partners for the Superhero Try in the UK, um, which is an adaptive sporting event. Um, so we have people sign up to be a part of our Invisi Youth team for free, and they fundraise leading up to the event at Dorney Lake in Windsor in August. Um, so that's really wonderful to have our brand leaders be the first ones we're inviting to these events, expanding that network that they're able to then invite other people that they've worked with. And now the program is sort of in its second full year of um, leadership um, activism with them. So now we have our global brand leader, All Stars, who are our veterans returning for a second year. So they do a lot more, not only the remaining, I, they, they had to get a cool name. That was sort of my goal, my, my key job when they were signing on for year two was that they had a cool title. <laughs> so our, our All Stars, if you will. They not only are still maintaining their activism role of doing social media takeovers from us and us promoting their own work of their blogging, their businesses, their interviews, their podcasts. We're promoting their network to an international community instead of just their glo their specific network. Um, but then they're also fundraising for us in different styles. And then they now are taking that second step of being a leadership network to our new global brand leaders coming in. So they really are the first team of people they get that our new global brand leaders get to see in terms of what they've done. They get to see their profiles on our website of the different aspects of work they've built and the programs they've built and their YouTube channels and their blogs um, and their writing material and their sporting networks. And so that really becomes this sort of guideline for these young adults will then immediately start we connect them to our other brand leaders to help one another do programming together and especially in the uk with you guys have a smaller geographic expansion than how big the us tends to be um so especially there our global brand leaders in the uk have been sort of the first ones to really take that idea and run with it and support one another. They would show up to each other's fundraiser events and they would go to award ceremonies together. And if one of them was writing about accessibility in the theater district, then another one that would be in Northern England was then sort of piggybacking off of that and do it going to a show in the North and showing the difference and sharing with one another. And so for them, they really get to not only thrive independently and expand their network to our international community, but then they really get to learn from each other. And that's where, for us, they're motivated even more so to test their boundaries and see how they can achieve their own goals. One of InvisiYouth's global brand leaders in the UK is Sophie Ward, who joined the charity a year and a half ago after contracting Lyme disease at the age of 14, which put an end to her dreams of competing in the Olympics. I first got involved with InvisiYouth um, February last year, so February 2018, and they're just a great charity. I saw so much of their work online and through social media, and I just thought that, you know, their message is so great. And for me, suffering with Lyme disease for so long, going undiagnosed, people didn't know what was wrong with me. And it's like invisible illnesses. People are quick to judge. They make harsh comments and you don't know how to take it because you don't know what to say because your body's failing you and you don't understand it. And you do lose that sense of purpose. You lose friends. And InvisiYouth has built a community that helps bring those people together and connect with people so you feel less alone. 
and then you realize how to deal with your own battles because you are inspired by other people and I think it's key it's it's helped me so much in my own journey as well and I'm so thankful to them and that's why I really wanted to get involved with them further. Now you just actually mentioned that you went undiagnosed for a while and it was the same it's a similar story to Dominique she was a professional or training to be a tennis player and you were a swimmer weren't you? I was yes. Um, so was it the that sense of isolation and the sense of losing losing that aspect of your life that really spoke to you about the charity yes definitely and I think when you come from sort of being an athlete and you're very used to your body bouncing back and that high level of training to achieve the goals that you've set for so long that when that all sort of comes crashing down and it's not just having to sort of mourn the sort of health that's declining but it's also mourning the old athlete in you let's say and that sport that you've had to retire from early and it's very very hard to come to grips with it and I think Dominique's amazing she set up this charity because she knows that there's other people out there in the same boat and we can all connect and you just see other people that are ambitious as well like you are going down different routes and using their health not as a negative but in a positive way I mean, obviously, you're going to have your bad days and we all have our days where we want to cry and there's days when we can't do the things that we'd want to do. But Invisiuse as a charity just shows people around the world, globally, taking on their illness and, you know, facing their fears head on and thinking, no, I'm going to make a difference, but I'm also going to make a difference and help other people as well, which I think is very key. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a shame that issues like loneliness and isolation are, are quite common in the disabled community. And, and in particular, it's it's really sad when it affects young people as well. Is it is that something Definitely. you had to come to terms with when when you first became ill? Definitely, because I think for me, I was isolating myself at first because through embarrassment, basically, I didn't know what was going on with my health. I couldn't answer anybody's questions. And people knew me as Sophie the swimmer. So when I wasn't swimming anymore, I'd had to retire. There was nothing else really going on in my life. I felt embarrassed. I really did. And again, I think that's quite common throughout the sort of chronic illness community. They are normally quite high flyers in life. And when they become unwell, it's it's not just dealing with the illness that they're having to deal with they lose friends they lose that sort of sort of drive and ambition for a while because they don't know where to sort of point that ambition Mm. to because they don't really know where they're heading so again Invisiuse give the tools of that because they show sort of leaders in the field throughout the world smashing it at what they do now how was it that you found a way to move past it like you say you had to give up your you were an Olympic hopeful when you got sick, if I remember rightly. Yes. My, well, my dream was to compete at London 2012. And I was on the programme and everything. And, of course, I got tick, uh, bitten by a tick in 2008 when I went to go to Beijing to watch my friends compete in the Olympics to soak up the atmosphere. So it was very difficult because I was very young. I was only 14 at the time. And you have to commit heart and soul into swimming 24 hours a week on top of, you know, your education. So when I stopped swimming, I hadn't had the time like my other friends to do other hobbies, explore other routes. And I just felt lost. I I really did. I had no idea. I had no other hobbies. 
no other sort of anything that really took my fancy and that that was very difficult as well because I tried different things but again I'd had to give it up through my health because the symptoms were getting unpredictable and uncontrollable and doctors were saying that I was crazy you know it was all in my head and obviously then my friends and my family questioned me as well and, and that was very difficult And I think it was only sort of when I got my diagnosis, which was only going back two years ago now, was when I really began saying, right, this is what I've got. It's affecting me this way. And I I had the confidence to start sort of blogging and being more open because I knew how hard, like I'd spent like five years, a good solid five years of isolating myself, feeling like a failure, wanting to give up on life. And I thought, no, I need to open up so that other people realise that they aren't alone either and encourage people to get, you know, talking, get speaking up, find their voice. And through sort of the support of readers of my blog was when I sort of started building my confidence up and realising that I wanted to work with charities like Busy Youth and Lyme Disease UK to start helping other people because I knew how much people were helping me in that way in fact your own experience is is almost directly what invisi youth is is trying to combat it's trying to make sure that that people who are looking for diagnosis and who are going through all of that don't just have to give up their entire life to wait for it they have the tools to to still live exactly and i think that that's what's very difficult because people see they get a diagnosis and think it's like a death sentence or a life sentence And yeah, it makes life hard. I'm not saying it doesn't. You know, life is unpredictable. You do lose friends. You do often lose careers in some some ways. But there's always plan B, plan C, plan D in life. And you have to sort of soak up the positives and really try and highlight them. And you become so, so, you know, more grateful than you ever were before because you appreciate the little things in life. You appreciate family. You appreciate the friends that have kept with you through the journey. And, you know, there's always going to be negatives out there. And even if I had been a swimmer, I was always going to retire at some point and I'd had to have found my way. And, you know, I might have not had Lyme disease, but I could have got cancer further down the route. We, none of us know. And I think, you know, Invisible Youth are very good, like you say, giving the tools to young adults and teens going through all this that life doesn't stop with illness you can adapt you can move forward there's so much out there and it's okay to try you you know yourself at different things and you might fail first time round, but you know you've just got to keep trying and you've got to keep positive and I think you know Invisi Youth are so lucky to have such amazing role models they're so amazing and I get inspired every day listen to the podcast look on the social media and you sometimes you're having a bad day and you think oh I can't get through today you look on their social media and you think no I'm gonna smash it and that's what it's all about I really think it is yeah completely and what has what has your work with the charity looked like so far because you've been with them two years now I think or just over a year yes yeah so it's sort of a year and a half now which is crazy but it's it's going so quick and I love every minute of it but I love hosting fundraisers for them I try and do a good two solid good you know party great night boogie nights and um, that just raise a lot of money and it's again word of mouth getting that 
sort of people speaking about it because again it's a community that often people neglect and don't think about so doing these fundraisers it's not just about the money raised but it's about bringing people together and getting people talking and just even in the local community people think oh my gosh there are people out there like me and it's 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 just great it's just a great vibe you seem to have have regained that sense of purpose that you've lost is it is it rewarding to see other people finding the same through invisi youth as well definitely definitely and i think i still have my days where i doubt myself and i still have days where i feel like i let down and i'm more my old life but then like you say you look on social media and you look at the role models and you think no you know you there's so much to be positive about in life and there's always ways to adapt there's always sort of ways out there that we can get help and support. And I think that's a big, big thing because for a long time, I felt so alone. I felt, I, well, I isolated myself from my family and my friends because I was embarrassed and I, and I didn't know what to say to them. So for me, having, you know, Invisi Youth out there and me being able to reach out to them, they've offered me support and opened me up to a community of amazing role models that I look to you know look up at every day and inspired by every day yeah and it's so important because I think illness in and of itself is isolating but it's even worse when you're young and you're looking for a diagnosis you don't know what to tell people and and it just becomes oh I am sick and you kind of hope all the time for this diagnosis so you can turn around and go no there was a reason and then when it comes you then have to deal with that as well exactly yes definitely I think you've hit the nail on the head it's it's very you know when you're in the dark almost and you don't know what to say to anybody or you you know you've got your doctors even telling you you're crazy you really think there's no support out there and you do isolate yourself from the world because you almost feel like you don't you're not allowed to be in the world because you're an embarrassment you're a sad excuse for a human being almost and think we have to break down those judgments and we have to offer that support even if people aren't getting the medical support if they've just got a friendly person at the other side of the phone or someone they can write to or someone they can clearly see doing well it just gives someone a boost and it's it is a lifeline in so many ways yeah I completely agree and you've obviously gained a lot from working with the charity and you're doing a lot of good work with the charity for other people as well but how can how can people get involved with Invisi Youth I think basically obviously the podcast so they're a great way just to start listening listening to stories because I think that's a big thing is um people have lost a lot of confidence like we were saying so people don't really want to reach out because they fear talking to other people. They don't know how people are going to take them or if they'll fit in, so to say. Um, so I think listening to the podcast can gain com- confidence. And then just engaging on social media, even just you know leaving that comment on Instagram, wishing someone well, or even reaching out to Dominique is great because the conversation just picks up and people start talking and people add people and that's just where it's like a snowball you know and a a domino effect it just builds up and builds up and builds up and then your confidence builds up to where you get more sort of confident in opening up and having the bravery to speak about your own story because it's all about listening to other people's stories but it's another thing to open up about your own 
if you could give any advice to people who who are newly ill or or who were maybe going through the early stages of of dealing with a chronic illness what what would you say to them now i think the worst thing and obviously I'm, i'm not a good example of this but the worst thing is to isolate yourself definitely don't do that you need to be open with friends and family so they understand because i think a lot of the time we think oh people won't understand but we don't give them the time to understand we've just obviously given them that judgment that they won't understand we need to allow them to try and understand which can help us and again just engaging on social media being open there's always going to be negatives but you've got to just realize that it takes great courage and people will appreciate your courage of being open and you'll make friends there's a massive community out there And people will reach out to you and you'll have a great level of support. And through that support, you'll just you'll just keep going and get going from strength to strength. And you'll start going, you know, gaining skills that you never thought you'd go into and talents and hobbies. And, you know, then you'll you'll regain your life and it'll be eye opening and just crazy. It's it's insane. And like I say, start small. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a daily thing you work with day to day and it's just great and you're just growing confidence you can find out more about invisi youth's work and explore their toolkits at www.invisiyouthcharity.com and connect with them on social media at at youth on twitter instagram and facebook and Dominique may be the only millennial in the world not to have her own social media accounts, but you can follow Sophie and her work on Twitter at at Wardy. Normally at this point in the show, I shine some light on one or two of the disabled and chronically ill creators doing great work at the moment. But sadly, thanks to my recent health crash, which was totally my own fault for biting off more than I could chew this month, I haven't had time to compile it. What I will say is that May is both ME Awareness Month and Ella Danlos Awareness Month, which are both diagnoses I have, so these awareness campaigns are particularly close to my heart. You can follow some of the campaigns at at ME and at the Ed Society on Twitter. That's all for the slightly late April podcast, and at the end of May I hope you'll join me for an incredible episode with writer, poet, activist and performer Penny Pepper, where we'll be talking all things politics, poetry and resistance. If there's a disability topic, activist, creator or news story you'd like to see featured here this year, you can contact me on Twitter at, at @visibilitytoday or email visibilitytoday at gmail.com. For now, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next month for another look at what's invisibility then.